So this will definitely be the last uh, session of this seminar, or whatever we call it. Um, and uh, what we're going to do on, on tomorrow and Saturday, we're going to have the puja at four on Friday and Saturday, because poor Buddha Sevaka can't do late night pujas. Because this is late for me. Yeah. So he's so we're having them at. We're going to do them up for, and it'd be nice to have a bit of a change up as well, and so he can enjoy the pujas. Is that only if, you know. No, it's going to happen. Yeah. I've decided. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's <laughs> that. yeah, but you've got to be there. <laughs> but if you're not there, we'll do it anyway. <laughs> and in the evening, we'll we'll uh, if the weather's good, we'll do walking and chanting around the stupa, and then we'll meditate. We'll do, do, do some chanting and we'll have an open sit and do some more sadhana or, or whatever. So a bit of a change up. And on Saturday evening, uh, we'll get together at eight in the retreat centre lounge like we did at the beginning and just gather together and, um, you know, see if there's a word or two that, that might say something about your week um, and then finish with a, something quite simple. Okay. But that's a long way to go before we get there. So um, we're going to be looking at clothing now um, in the liturgy. Um, in this uh, text, the clothing is a bit different from ours. Um, ours, um, now Sardner, uh, which I think Bounty probably composed, actually. Um, uh, it's the robes of the three yanas. Um, the, the, the blue tantric robe inside, um, the yellow Hinayana monastic robe round that, and embracing them all, the red robe of the Mahayana of the Bodhisattva. Um, just a comment on that, on uh, Padmasambhava's robes in that sadhana. There's a, there, there are opposites here again. Uh, reflected in 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 the robes um, in Bunty's notes on the sadhana from 1981, he points out that blue is the colour of the king. It's the colour of royalty. Of uh, in that sense, it's a sort of worldly colour. Um, whereas the yellow is the colour of renunciation. Uh, the colour of a renunciate. Um, Padmasambhava is neither a monk nor a layman. Um, and of course he's got the long hair as well and the skull cup of the yogi renunciate um, I take that to mean that Padmasambhava transcends all ecclesiastical categories I and mean, it's also why I like the picture that we have on the shrine of Bhante with long hair and his uh, monastic robes and the beads and that's how he looked when he ordained me as well um, you know, I really like all that, you know, that you get this sort of clashing of, uh, of um, yeah, clashing of uh, opposites to, to, to create a sort of particular impression. I think it's, it's very important to sort of... Padmasambhava is a sort of figure that, um, you know, in a way occupies a kind of liminal space. Um, he kind of operates in different... You know, in the in-between places, if you like, um, you can't pin him down. You can't say he's this or that. 
uh, or the other. I think that's very, very important. I think uh, there's a saying of Bhante's in, in Pieces of Fire, gurus are the middle men of religion. You know, and, and, and that middle ground is very, very hard to, uh, you know, to, to, to sort of uh, define. You know, this sort of marginal realm is very, very interesting in, in, in the history of Tantric Buddhism, how much, uh, in Indian Tantric Buddhism, the, um, the sort of topography of, uh, of describing sort of Tantric spaces, um, the kind of you know, what tantric people are, it, it's, it's always marginal. It's marginal, liminal, uh, that they're the sort of places they're operating in. You're not even quite sure whether they're saints or sinners. You know, it's, it's not clear, you know, and that's, that's important, that's deliberate, you know, and, uh, you know, that the, 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 our categories need to be defined. I like the fact that Papaloka... I mean, it can be a bit difficult with mosquitoes and, and uh, you know, humidity and dampness and things like that, but I like the fact that it's in marshland, you know, that, that you know, I like the fact that you can walk up the lane and, you know, it's earth and water, you know, we're near to an estuary and all that sort of thing. I think that communicates something. I think that evokes something. Anyway, we're moving on to the actual liturgy itself. You wear a red Dharma robe with a crisscross pattern of gold. And as often happens in commentaries on Papasambhava's robes, you get, get quite a disqu- uh, disquisition on um, all the different kinds of robes that Papasambhava will wear, depending on the iconography. But uh, Kongtrul says that he wears the eight clothes of blessing. Um, uh, which accord with the unsurpassable secret yana. And these clothes are the costume and symbols of the holders of the triple vadra, which is the practice of the union of the three yanas, hinayana, mahayana and vajrayana. So there you go. It's just like uh, Bhante tells it. You know, the holders of the triple vadra, uh, the one who practices the union of the three yanas. Don't know what all that means, but I'm just, I'm just the messenger. I'm sorry, did you say anything about the red robe? I can't remember. Uh, in our, in our, um, in yeah, the way Banty yeah. explains the red robe, it, it, it goes round the the <coughs> yellow robe of the bhikshu, the, the the renunciate, and the blue robe of the tantric siddha, the vajrayana. It's the red robe of the Mahayana, the bodhisattva. My own interpretation of that is that. In a way, the Bodhisattva path makes sense of everything. Yeah. You know, it makes sense of renunciation. It makes sense of tantric transformation. You know, it's to do with the liberation of of all beings. That's 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 you know that's the way I read that symbolism. Yeah. Vajra, I'll only ask this one question because I'm conscious that it's my fault we're not going to get through today. But anyway, um. Uh, Sort of very keen on colour theory. I'm mm. a designer, uh, and really resonate quite strongly with the, you know, the uh, the three points, and also the three uh, red, you know, the three three rows. Yeah. Is there anything to say about colours in relation to um, the sadhana practice? Uh, well, first off, colours are extremely important. That's the first thing to say. I mean, um, 
you, you know, and they, and they were very, very important. Bantu used to emphasise the the the, the colours in the sadhanas, and in Padmasambhava, of course, you've got a whole range of colours. You know, you've got the robes, you know, yellow, blue, red. You've got the yes, the coloured lights, the rainbow coloured light. You know, it's a, a, a you know tremendous array of of colour, which of course is really communicating something. And he he used to sort of emphasise, well, you know, you just really need to feel those colours. You can go into the symbolism of it, but I, my impression with him was that it's more that you you really try to feel, um, you know, what the colours are doing to you yeah, yeah. as you look at them. Um, when I went to him to, to get his blessing to take up the Kurukula Sadhana, uh, he was mo- mo- most interested in the fact that I, you know, I was talking about red goddesses and being attracted to red, you know, in a way sort of anonymous red goddesses, as it were, and he said, hmm, red goddesses, hmm, red, red. He seemed to be more interested in my response to the colour red, and, and he, I think he even said on that occasion, well, it's in the colour. It's the. It's almost as if he was saying you could, might just as well just meditate on the color red, oh, wow. and and then he just said and apparently it's the first color that a, a, a baby uh, recognizes the color oh, red. Oh, you know, it's this classic kind of Bantu yeah. music. But he he's he's real color is very important, and I think Vivadra at the weekend mentioned how he 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 suggested a few times in the early days that. Uh, you know, he thought all the members might experiment with um, when they were doing a particular sadhana that they wear the colours. Say it's Tara, you wear green clothing, and you meditate in a green room, oh, wow. and all that sort, of, and see yeah. and see what it does. Yeah. He also makes the point, the, the incredible point. I can't remember the exact words, but he was asked once, what effect. Uh, does meditating on green Tara have on you in, when you practice? And he said the spiritual equivalent of greenness. Which I think, I mean, it was an incredible reply. Not oh, well, you develop all these qualities. Greenness, the spiritual equivalent of greenness. Oh, wow. So, you know, your your love of colour, your response to colour, yeah, yeah. just just well, you give that plenty of attention. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think um, if I may add to that, um, in Ratnagurna's book, Great, Great, Great Wisdom, he draws out that the Buddha taught a ten-element practice. Sorry? The Buddha taught to his disciples the ten-element practice. Oh, the casinos. The, yeah. yeah. the remaining four were yeah. just colours. Yeah. And it seemed from what Ratnagurna is saying that you wouldn't tell people to do the whole ten. You'd say, you go and reflect on lead. Mm. You go and reflect on water. Mm. Mm. Uh, mm. But, so I just find there's some kind of parallel with that. Yes, yeah. And the yeah. importance of colour. Yeah, very, very important, yeah. I mean, the casinas you would set up, you'd create these sort of discs of flower petals. Um, you know, say if you were meditating on the red casino, you would, you would set them up in the distance, you know, a whole circle of red flower petals and you would look at them so it's got it's not just sort of painted red discs originally so you have that it, it's something much sort of softer uh, than that
Yeah. Oh, we have got the stupa visualization, haven't we? Where you mm. you you visualize those those sort of pure shapes and pure colors. That's a very interesting practice to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, sorry, just, I just find it is that it goes all the way back to the colours to the Buddha himself. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, enough on colour. Yeah, that was, that was we, set from me, thanks. Just so we had a Manchester Buddhist Centre Sangha retreat last year, and I made a light box, like, about seven foot long, lit from underneath, with a man who hung on it. It's yeah. fantastic, you know, really powerful. <laughs> What of coloured lights of the two? Well, it was, yeah. all, it was like coloured coloured plastic, but sort yeah, of yeah. lit from underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's go on. So you wear the red lotus cap with vultures plume and hanging ribbons on your lotus throne. You are resplendent with your marks and characteristics. Perfect are you in all qualities, external and internal. Salutation and praise to you. So the red lotus cap, um, or the red-lobed crown of the five Buddha families, it's sometimes called, because it's, I think if you count up all the flaps, it comes to five. Um, it's sometimes called the lotus hat that liberates on sight. So if you see the lotus cap properly, um, as it should be seen, it will liberate you. Um, and it seems to be equivalent to the five jewelled crown of the Bodhisattva, uh, the Bodhisattva so it can symbolise the five jnanas. Sometimes on the front panel you have the five coloured jewels of the five wisdoms. And in our sadhana it specifies a sun disc and a moon crescent. Again, the union of opposites, the union of the solar and lunar energies. There's a Zogchen Tantra called the Union of Solar and Lunar Energies, the Sun and Moon Tantra. And the cap also has a vulture's plume, uh, the vulture being the highest flying of birds. Uh, said, so this is said to symbolise that Padmasambhava has the highest vision, the highest view. Um, he's able to be in that uh, vastness of space. Um, completely free to soar in that uh, in that realm, um, and the plume is often emerging from a, a vajra, one half of which is showing. Um, you, I presume the lotus cap, um, you know, has its origins in the hats that are actually worn by mountain people. That's my guess. Uh, a flapped hat, you know, when you take the flaps down, you're going to keep your ears warm, I guess. Um, but of course, it becomes so much more, you know, as it, it becomes an archetypal hat, um, you know, uh, which again, I think you've got this, this sort of um, bringing together of something very sort of earthy with uh, something visionary, um, thinking of that uh, business of the you know, the vulture's feather and, you know, the Padmasambhava having the highest view or the highest vision. There is the famous saying of Padmasambhava, my view is as high and as vast as space, but my attention and my, or but, or and my attention to actions and their consequences is as fine as milled flour. So you've got, again, that bringing together, of, <coughs> you know, if you like, 
rather poetically, heaven and earth. How does that manifest in the cap? Well, I th what I was getting at with the cap was that, if the, I'm probably bringing, reading too much into this, but if it is, if, you know, it's it, you know, a, a hat that maybe mountain people wore, something very sort of earthy, that then gets elevated into a kind of mm. archetypal mm. hat, you know, symbolising the, um, you know, the, the Buddha crown that liberates on sight. I'm sort of perhaps hanging a bit, you know, much on that, but anyway. It's also said to symbolise uh, the Lotus family. Uh, so it's got, it, it, it's, uh, it's associated, you know, he's, he's in the family of Amitabha. On your lotus throne, you are resplendent with your marks and characteristics. Perfect are you in all qualities, external and internal. Salutation and praise to you. So, Padmasambhava is seated in royal ease on a lotus throne and moon mat and sun disc. Um, you'll notice in the written text, it's only a moon mat, but uh, on one occasion, Bhante did lead it with a sun disc above a moon mat. Um, and he's on a red lotus for the Padma Kula. And he's very relaxed in the posture of a king, at ease, absorbed in samadhi, and yet stepping out, stepping down. Um, but the, 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 it's very important, I think, in the Padma Sandhya that you have this sense of... Uh, of ease, of relaxation. Um, Padmasambhava has nothing to prove, he doesn't really have anything to do, and yet all is being done. He is dwelling in the greater mandala. Um, he never leaves the greater mandala, uh, even when he's in the midst of the lesser mandala. You know, he brings those realms together. He has all the marks and characteristics of a Buddha, and he wears ornaments and jewelled earrings and so on, um, and, and, and so on and so forth. And he's in the midst of auras, as we know, green around the head, red around the body, uh, or he's enveloped in rainbow-coloured light, a dense mass of rainbows that emanate from him. I think we've gone over all that sufficiently, haven't we? Then there's a kind of contemplation of his nature. There is no uniting or separating for your forms and their fields of activity. There is no uniting or separating for your forms and their fields of activity. So there's, there's no separation between Padmasambhava and the fields or realms that he operates in. Um, he operates beyond subject and object, beyond self and other. So he's operating in an entirely uh, different way. Uh, others are important to him as he is to himself. Um, in Shantideva's dhyana uh, section of the Bodhicharya Avatara, um, which is, you know, uh, uh, is remarkable when you think of it, the dhyana paramita for Shantideva is all about identifying with all others, seeing through self and other, uh, and working uh, for the alleviation of the suffering of 
all beings. That's the perfection of meditation for Shantideva. Um, and he makes the point that when you see through self and other, there is no elation at success. You know, being successful in you know, liberating others and no dejection at failure. You know, you've removed that sense of self and you're just freely uh, operating and he makes that incredible point that uh, a bodhisattva who has mastered this uh, the sameness of self and others the exchange of self and others um, will plunge into the deepest hell the unending the hell of unending torment the avici hell like geese plunging into a lotus lake that's what happens um, when you see through self and other. That's the kind of compassionate response that you have. Everything, in other words, is the expression of luminous, uh, compassionate, empty awareness. And therefore there's complete freedom of activity. That's the way I'm reading this. There's no uniting or separating for your forms and their fields of activity. Banti, there's another passage from Banti in a different place, um, not to do with Padmasambhava, but I think it's worth reading out. It's from his commentary on the the Precious Garland. Um, So, I think it's from the Precious Garland. It's in the, I forget which uh, book it's in now. Uh, But Banti quotes from the Mahayana Sutra, which goes, A Bodhisattva puts on armour in order to gather all beings around him. Since beings are infinite, so is his armour. So this is Bhanti now. The Bodhisattva's armour is motivation, and the idea that gathers all around him suggests he is at the centre of a mandala gathering. He is at the centre of a mandala, gathering people around him in what Buddhists call a sangha, a spiritual community. In this way, one can think of the spiritual community as a mandala, with a Buddha, with the Buddha or the Bodhisattva at the centre. So the Bodhisattva has a harmonious creative effect. Here is this mass of human beings, all fighting and quarrelling, trying to subdue one another, trying to amass wealth. The Bodhisattva comes among them and gradually transforms the chaos into a cosmos the confusion into a beautiful mandala, society into a spiritual community. It's as though as soon as one has decided that one is aiming to gain enlightenment for the benefit of others, a sort of vibration is set up and the people in one's immediate environment form a kind of mandala around one. So, I mean, I I sort of see Padmasambhava, there being no separation between his forms and his fields of activity it's it's that vibration if you like that's that's gathering uh, people around him not sure if that's the right interpretation but um, it suggests that to me and it goes on the magical activity of all the Buddhas throughout all ten directions cannot be predicated as great or small for they abide in the condition of the threefold body. Not sure what this means, but I like it. (laughs) Uh, Predicated means affirmed or declared to be, 
So the activity of the Buddhas and therefore of Padmasambhava is magical, inconceivable. So you can't declare it to be large or small. It is beyond all measurement. You know, um, you know sometimes in these sadhanas you're, you're really encouraged to play with size. You know, for example, you get explanations where they say you should see in every pore of Padmasambhava's body all the Buddha fields. Um, you know, how can you see that? You know, um, but you're 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 trying to you know you you completely go beyond all notions of 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 size and measurement, large, small, that sort of thing. So one of the things that's telling you: don't do visualization with your head. You can't do it with thought. You've got to enter quite a different uh, way of experiencing. I had an interesting dream recently. I was, it was a, during the winter retreat here. I had a sort of it's kind of semi-solitary in my room. And I was doing uh, the Padmasambhava sadhana throughout the day. And um, I had a, had a, you know, I don't often get, um, you know, vivid dreams. But this seemed to be to do with what I was, you know, with what I was doing. And in this dream, I, I, I wandered into a, into a shop, into a shopping mall, like a sort of pop-up shop, um, you know, in a rather, you know, not a very nice sort of shopping mall, you know, but there was this interesting-looking shop, and it was full of rupas, a really unusual rupas, like a standing Vajrasattva Yabhyum, and clearly somebody was selling off a collection of rupas and, and different things and there was a glass case uh, with sort of manuscripts in it and there was one which I could make out was clearly I don't know how I could interpret this I don't, can't remember if it's Tibetan or English but I knew it was a treasure text to do with Padmasambhava, to do with Avalokiteshvara and it was a, a collection of practices and I turned it over and there was this exquisite painting of Padmasambhava uh, on the back of it or interleaved within it I can't remember now but looking closely I could see that that in the robes that the, the, his robes were were covered in incidents from his life story you could sort of make them out and there was this strange sense of of size you know because it was it was a small picture but full of these Incidents, and if you went into them, they became larger. I mean, it was, it was, it was, you know, one of those sort of magical moments. I have no idea what it was to do with, if it was to do with anything. But I did realise that this was a sacred text, and I thought well, something's got to be done. We can't just leave this in a shop in a shopping mall. <coughs> we've got, we've got to do something with this. And at that moment, these these nuns walked in wearing red robes. Um, I think they might have been Western Tibetan nuns. And I said, look, are you Nyingma Buddhist? Because somebody's got to take charge of this text. We can't leave it here. And then I woke up. So I don't know what's happened to that uh, particular treasure. I obviously missed it. I obviously wasn't ready for it. The Barkinis have it, obviously. They probably do. Yeah, I don't even know if the nuns wanted to take it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Threefold body. Tree kaya. The 
true colour. It is the true colour. They are by so it, that's a sort of explanation, isn't it? The magical activity of all the Buddhas throughout all the ten directions cannot be predicated as great or small before before they abide in the condition of the tree kaya. Wow, go away and meditate on that. Um, um, and of course, well, in this, perhaps there's an explanation. The Dharma kaya, of course, is the whole of reality, inconceivably vast. Um, the Samboga kaya is visionary and archetypal and, you know, Measurement doesn't really apply there. And then, of course, the Nirmanakaya is happening in time and space. Um, you know, perhaps one of the things as well that in relation to this is that um, if Padmasambhava was, uh, you know, turned up, let's say he, you know, he, he was around... Uh, we wouldn't be able to make sense of him. Or we might think we do, because he you know, looks like this, that or the other. But the dimensions that he's operating in are not to be fixed by a particular appearance. I mean, you could even see that with, with, with iconography, like that painting, the, the big side-on painting of, of Padmasambhu. Did I say this the other day? Um, you know, the, one, the big one in the shrine room. Um, when Arloka painted that, there were all the members who said to him, that's not Padmasambhava, because, you know, he's not like this, doesn't look like him. Whereas Arloka had actually sourced that from a, a fresco in the Dalai Lama's secret temple. There's this idea that you know who Padmasambhava is because, you know, you've done the equivalent of stamp collecting. You know, you've... You've looked up the iconography book, so you know who Padmasambhava is. I mean, again, this is where you have to look at the, the accounts of visionaries, you know, where they have an encounter with a figure and they know that it's Avalokiteshvara or Padmasambhava, but they haven't turned up with four arms or they haven't got all the gear. So, again, it's this idea that you're entering a quicksilver world and... Um, you know, you have to let go of your ideas. Yes, the iconography is helpful as a doorway into something, but you've also got to sort of let go of, of, of that and not be so literal-minded about it. It seems odd, doesn't it, because everybody who has a dream has met a friend who doesn't look like their friend, but they know they're up, they are their friend. Yeah. I mean, so it seems odd so literal given that it's a um, it's a visualisation it's a it's a kind of imaginal experience mm. Mm. it just mm. seems odd to kind of pin it down so so strongly seems you do it every night sort of yes <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 well it's it's a support isn't it the 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 sadhana and it's it, you know those elements you know which the tradition has handed down you know resonate with us and they're a starting point. Uh, but then you've also got to sort of open to something else. You know, I think this is why the, 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 the beginning and the end of the practice, you know, the, the vast blue sky, the letting go, you know, is really, really important, that sense of, of, of opening. And sometimes it can be quite good, you know, to, to, you know, for example, just to chant the mantra and see what arises see who arises, 
Um, you know, and, 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 well, you have to work all that out. The lightning of your phantom form shoots through the void. Salutation and praise to you. Again, it's the phantom forms, the tuppers, the emanations, emanations like lightning flashes shooting through the void, shooting through space. This is Padmasambhava. Um, the, the, the lightning flashes from the blue beyond. Um, there's quite a famous chant to, to Padmasambhava from somebody called Dokensi Yeshe Dorje called the lightning bolt of compassion. I really like that, the lightning bolt of compassion. Um, and sometimes his blessings and emanations are likened to shooting stars. Uh, the blessings of Amitabha are likened to the sun, of Avalokiteshvara to the moon, Padmasambhava to shooting stars, the myriad of shooting stars uh, connecting with every individual. So, you know, the whole, you know, when you recite these things, you're trying to get into a, a sense of wonder and your salutation and praising is the expression of that, of that wonder. Oh, good, we've nearly finished. Here we go. And here's another verse that I really like and I do not understand it, but I'll read it and I'll make something up. <laughs> With the light rays of the 100,000 suns that characterise your splendour, you draw forth from its natural source the power of life, like a wish-granting gem which fulfils all wants and desires, eternal Vajra body, salutation and praise to you. I mean, so you're being asked to imagine the overwhelming brilliance of Padmasambhava. Uh, he has the light rays of a hundred thousand suns. That's his splendour. The light rays of one hundred thousand suns. Goodness. Uh, that's you know what it's like being in Padmasambhava's presence. That, that brilliant light. And that light draws forth from the cosmos from its natural source, the power of life, long life, health, well-being. Um, you know, in the Tibetan tradition, life, they say, is, is shortened not just by the things we, you know, think that, you know, bring about shortness of life and all that, but by unskillful action, um, not living meaningfully, breaking oaths, uh, Samaya bonds, um, all that stuff. Um, there are all sorts of forces that, that, that can interfere with, with long life and health and vitality um, uh, and the living of, a, of a, a creative and abundant life, the life of the Dharma. Because it's not just long life. I don't, they don't mean it in terms of you just live a long time and it's awful. You're talk, it's, it's about gaining vitality, um, you, you know, creativity, you know, regardless of how healthy you are or ill you are. It's that creative, I see it as the creative life, the Dharma life. Uh, in this cycle of practices, you're, you're instructed to identify with Padmasambhava and you, you, you imagine this, the light of 100,000 suns, going out and extracting the quintessential vitality of the elements. Wow, what would that mean? 
as if through some magic you could extract the quintessential vitality of the elements so that they pour into you, mending the broken and restoring the damaged. Um, what on earth? What on earth? Um, you know, but but um, I was I was sort of wondering about this and, and making again associations, uh, and it's to do with the way the Buddha sometimes describes the spiritual life, the Dharma life. He talks about he uses this word uh, paripachana, which means maturing, ripening, flourishing. It's the word he uses to Megia. You know when. Uh, the heart's liberation is immature. Five things leads to its maturing. But the word can mean ripening, flourishing. Yes, growth, if you like. If you like, the life of life itself. That's what the Dharma is. Um, I think that's actually a very strong theme in Bhante's teaching, that, that, that living the Dharma life is living the life of life. You know, the real, creative, deeply human, quintessentially human life. So I see it like that. That's what Padmasambhava does. That's how he is. That's what he communicates. He communicates this living quality uh, through communicating the Dharma. And that's what he's drawing from life, as it were. That's what he's inspiring uh, in us. So is this more than just jiva? It's not. No, it's not. It's not just jiva. No, no. It's not. It's not life in that in that sense. Well, that's the way I'm reading it. It's it's this sort of if it's this sense of um, well, I, I mean, it's a hackneyed word now, isn't it? But creativity, but 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 something really vigorous and vital. I mean, you you have got this in the Zogchen. Uh, cosmology, if you like, and 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 the, they they talk about that this state of luminous emptiness is uh, it can't help but create. It, it's life in that sense. So emptiness, luminous emptiness, is not dead. It's not inert. They bring out this idea that it's it's full of what they call sal, which is often translated as. Uh, as strength, but it also means something expressive, expressive, so it creates, it's abundant, and I think that's one of the ways I see Padmasambhava, you know, the whole figure of all the colours and all the things he holds, the lotus, this tremendous abundance and richness being communicated for the sake of it. Yeah, it does also bring about the liberation of all beings, you know, and is transformative. But in a sense, that's not why he's doing it. There's a saying of Bantis, you know, you don't feel compassion, you know, because beings suffer. One just feels compassion. Or you don't live the spiritual life to, 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 for yourself or for others. You live the spiritual life for its own sake. And that's infinitely more powerful in terms of compassion than doing it with a, a goal and an aim in mind. Yes, you're incredibly compassionate, but not in the worldly sense. It's something expressive and alive, and that's why you don't mind if people reject you or if there's ups and downs and so on. You haven't done it for that reason. You do it because, well, it's just the best thing you could possibly do. It's in the same way that 
a painter would paint or a poet would write poems. You communicate the Dharma. You are with somebody in difficulty. You want to draw for someone's potential. It's what you do. Yeah, so I think I very much see Padmasambhava like that. You know, having that kind of irresistible, you know, um, force. Um, creating life, vigorous life. You know, and it's interesting, isn't it, the, the life and liberation, you know, depicting, you know, not, not just being the great yogi in the burning grounds and, you know, but he learns everything. You know, all the arts and sciences, you know, and all, all the, you know, astrology, you know, arts, you know, rhetoric, everything, you know, so that he, it, it, and it, so it can go into this creative, abundant uh, activity. Um, you know, I remember Bhante saying on a seminar we were on once, he said, well, you know, it was said of Marpa, he knew everything from how to mend a pot to how to take somebody to Buddhahood in one lifetime. So, life. Uh, so, he is the Lama Guru Chintamani, the, the wish-fulfilling gem, the bodhicitta. Um, bodhicitta, you could say, is life, is the life of life. Um, and it's, uh, that will fulfill all wishes in the end. And he possesses the indestructible Vajra body. Um, they love their kayas in, in Tantric Buddhism. There's loads of kayas. So he's, the, the Vajra kaya is, well, it's the deathless, uh, beyond birth and death. Finally, although there can be no perceptual basis for this worship and praise, Yet, in order to remove these notions, which are a kind of accidental defilement, you disport yourself in a non-dual state, means and wisdom indistinguishable, like water entering water. Uh, in the Ratna Samanya Sangha Sadhana, um, you would be visualising yourself as the guru, and the guru is in front of you as well. So you would be doing these praises, both in, you know, with uh, beyond subject and object. And when Bhante first led us through the sadhana, we got a bit of that because uh, you know he sat, you know, we sat down and uh, he evoked Padmasambhava. Then he, you know, told us to imagine the lights, all the lights coming to us. And we become Padmasambhava, and he's out front too. And I remember the, him very, very, you know, remember it very well in that dark shrine room up in, up at the top in Samagavasa. What is Samagavasa now? I think it was still a building site. Um, beyond subject and object, beyond subject and object, neither inside nor outside, both inside and outside. And then we said the mantra. Uh, imagining all beings saying the mantra and then dissolving into light. So you did all the lights at the beginning, uh, no who at the end. Um, so he was trying, I think, to introduce us to this, to this way of seeing things beyond self and other. Um, so there is no perceptual basis for this worship and praise because ultimately there's no self and other. 
Padmasambhava is not outside, um, and there's no inside. He transcends inside and outside. Um, that sense of outside and inside is an accidental defilement, an adventitious defilement, something added on. Uh, it's not inherent. But to remove the accidental defilement, which we believe in very heavily, it's a very terrible accident, um, to remove that, he disports himself in a non-dual state. So he manifests. Um, he, has, he does appear because we're in that framework, even though he is beyond self and other. Uh, and uh, means of wisdom are indistinguishable. So you could say that one of the things you're trying to realise in a, in a sadhana, however you visualise, everything is perfectly realised now. Nirvana is near, or even present, and yet there is so much to realise. There's a whole path to follow. Bhante goes into this, doesn't he, in that <coughs> incredible lecture, the Buddha, the Bodhisattva, eternity and time, if you want to uh, follow that up. You get it in the Manjagosha study, don't you, uh, where you're praising Manjagosha, although he's giving you the praise to praise himself, uh, um, and you've been, um, you know, you are also at the rank of Manjagosha when you're saying this, pure from the start and arrived at the end of the ten boomies. And the other day uh, we were saying, or I was saying at my ordination, Bhante said both things. Bef I think before he gave me the mantra, he says, this is you at the end of the higher evolution. And after he'd given the mantra, he said, this is who you really are, if you could but realise it. So both are there. And that's that. There you go. We're done. <laughs> Ask your preceptor. Yes, I would, I would definitely wouldn't want to, uh, you know, disrupt a relationship between a preceptor and their disciple. So it's always good, I think, to talk to your preceptor about taking out formally. Yeah, regularly. Very good to do. But have we got enough from what you've given us so far to, if our precept is okay with it, to carry on? I think you've got, yeah, I think you've got loads, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> you want more? No, a lot, a lot more than you get when you take it up in ordination. Well, your preceptor does the sultan, doesn't it? Got a question about the initiation bars and the skull cup. Mm. And I'm not sure how to phrase it. Well, one question is do they contain the same substance? <laughs> I think you have to meditate on that and discover <laughs> yes. that. Yeah. And why? Um, 
why are they um, why are they both there in some well, you know, again, I, 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 can't answer, I can't answer that question here. Why, why is that there? I mean, this is the thing about Tibetan iconography. I mean, it's so... You know, why did, you know, a, a tanka painter paint something in a particular way? Presumably it was the instructions of his teacher. So, I mean, I've, I've seen... And I got, I've got a painting up in my room of Papasama that Anuka did for me back in about 1990, and I'd seen a form of Padmasambhava with a tiny little Amitayas sitting on the top of the initiation vase, and it, I just liked it. I liked the idea of having a little Buddha on top of the vase, so he put that in. Um, you know, and and it, 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 it's one of those things, and I think particularly with Padmasambhava, there's a bewildering variety of presentations, and you know, I, 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 and sometimes some can really strike you. I mean, I've got, I've managed to get, uh, Zala Kavira actually reproduced for me uh, a reproduction of a tanker that's in the Life and Liberation of an absolutely gorgeous Padmasambhava. He's a pink boy with all the robes, all the gear, and very strange sort of leg posture on a multicoloured lotus and his scenes of his life all around him. The skull cups out there filled with what looked like jewels mm. and a vase. The Vajra is sort of held negligently mm. down there. And he's also covered in lotus, red lotus garlands. And, you know, what I've never been able to find out anything about this particular mm. painting. Why? Presumably it's to do with a particular sadhana and or not. Who knows? You know, maybe the tanker painter just fancied it, although I've never seen one like that, but for some reason that has had such a strong appeal for me, I, and I, to this day I can't tell you why, it has such a strong draw for me, I just love the colours, you know, I love this sort of, you know, he's negligently holding a Vajra, you know, you know, and all these demons are kind of bowing down to him, he's kind of, that's the slightest bit interested, you know, you know, just, you know and... Um, you know, it, it communicates something. Or, 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 you know, sometimes hunting around the internet is what the, the internet's good for. I, I stumbled across a tanker, and Padmasambhava was brown. A brown Padmasambhava. In all the gear, but it's quite a very old, early tanker, and a very, very interesting article uh, uh, about this particular form. You know, well, why not brown? You know, and so on and so forth. So, all these sort of details. And I think what one of the things that Banti used to say when we'd go to him and ask for explanations, he'd say the, the answers are in the practice. He wouldn't necessarily give you a, an answer. I remember somebody going to him and saying, you know, do the, the heads of the thousand armed Avalokiteshvara practitioner, do the heads symbolise this or that or the other? And Banti said, well, they could do. But the answer is in the practice. You know, so it's encouraging you to, to go back. And, and, it, and I think it's good if things arise, and especially if you have a strong response, you, you, you're, you're left with this feeling image, you know, which stays in your mind. But you can't, the good thing, you, you might find a book which gives you an explanation, but you won't be any the wiser. You, you know, you've got to discover 
the meaning, I think, in your experience, yeah, in your life. Might even be telling you something about things you need to change, you need to do. Yeah. Could you say more about means? That's skillful means. Upaya Koshalya. Yeah? Yeah. So sometimes, you know, usually we talk about the end of the path as being wisdom and compassion or emptiness and compassion. But very often compassion is replaced with Upaya Koshalya. Mm. That is compassion, but in a way it's, it's, bringing, it's drawing attention to the fact that the compassionate activity of the Bodhisattva is highly effective. And, you know, if you want to follow that up, listen to uh, On Being All Things to All Men in the Vimalakirti series, because Bhante gives a very, very good talk on the perfection of skillful means. It's where he first talked about the Sangrahavastus and the Pratisamvids. Well, perhaps not the first time, but giving a, a vivid explanation of them. Yeah. You know, because compassion... The problem with the language of compassion, it... it it, it can be so often interpreted as pity and a lot heavy on sentiment, whereas skillful means is far more expressive, I think, of well, a kind of effectiveness, you know, to actually remove the suffering of others. Um. I'm not new to Padmasambha, but I've done my Vajrapani uh, sadhana for quite a while. And one thing I've been finding in taking up this particular practice, and Bhante was my uh, teacher, so I don't have anyone to mm. go to to mm. approve, as it were, <laughs> yeah. that, is that my, my um, way of doing sadhana is very flexible. It tends to I tend to produce figures and images and symbols lots and lots of times. I mean pretty much every time I get mm. something different. Mm. And there's always a tension in me. Do I follow oh, yeah. the existing or do I just let myself rip? Mm. I mean I was having difficulty with the robes. There's just too many of them for me. <laughs> I just find actually my, my feeling, just my feeling, is that it, for me it obscures rather than expresses. So I ended up this morning visualizing a, a sort of almost naked yogi mm. in a cremation ground. Mm. And then all sorts of things happened. Mm. I got Darkinis whispering at me and blah blah. You know, mm. I mean, the thing is, some of it is clearly just my sort of unconsciousness playing. But sometimes it feels something more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So I always just get this tension. So I don't know. Maybe I, I, I don't quite know why I'm asking this question. Well, it's a good question because you, you, you know I, I know what you mean. I think. Um, I mean, in relation to you know not having Bunty around anymore, um, I think you can start trusting your own inner teacher after all these years of practice. And it's also good, I think, to, you know, find people who, if, if you're not so, so sure and you want a bit of clarification, find, you know, order members who, who you feel confident in to, you know, reflect things back or suggest directions. 
Um, but I, I did ask Bunty about this thing of, um, you know, what happens when things start arising. So you've sat down, you know, to do the sadhana and, you know, and you're faithful to the form and yet something steep, you know, keeps popping out. What do you do? He said to me, he said, well, when you sit down to practice, yes, you, you, you intend to do it in the way that it's given. But if something starts, you know, genuinely coming through, you have to sort of go with it. So that's what he said, you know, when I asked him that, that question. It's not, it's not that you sit down and think, oh, well, let's have a fantasy session and, mm-hmm. you know, where anything goes sort of thing. He, he didn't seem to, he wasn't advocating that, but he was just saying, well, no, you, yeah, you, you, you sit down to do it as given, but then if things arise, um, you might well have to go with them, yeah. And you, you've just got to, you know, work that out, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you've got to sort of try that out. I was, and we're in sort of good company, because in Jamian Kent's life story, I did notice a, a passage where he says something like, and of course this is probably at quite a high level, he talks about receiving some blessings in a visualisation practice but I wasn't quite sure how did he put it I wasn't quite sure whether I was making it making that up mm-hmm. so that's a great lama um, you know that there were even he had a sort of doubt as to, as to the nature of what was happening of course you know as well the, the efficacy of practice it's always good to see that in terms of your of your life generally, you know, is doing these things, is it making you more aware, more ethical, you know, more metaphor, more friendly, more generous, more active in communicating the Dharma? Um, you know, that classic criteria, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, try things out. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm.